Drift, presented by Euphemet, and I'm Jim Perry. Coming to you tonight from my home studio in the hinterlands of the Oregon coast to the mothership, Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW in Seattle, streaming worldwide at nightdrift.com, and of course, heard later on the Euphemet podcast feed. Thank you for listening. You know, as a storyteller, a documentarian, a broadcaster... Night Drift for me is a chance to take a day and really consider the unknown phenomena that experiencers on my podcast, Euphemet, so courageously and publicly grapple with. It's a hall pass into unknown realms with a specific mandate to ponder on what we can't understand and reflect on how it all feels to me. To contextualize elements of the documentary series that is, sometimes, for sake of the story and art, better left unsaid. And sometimes this stuff is so personal, and it's so refreshing to have time to remember our own personal touch points that connect us to any one topic. And today, that is what I had the, oppor- the opportunity to do with Sasquatch. Tonight, we're talking about Sasquatch and the people who experience them. Growing up in the Pacific Northwest, you know, we're talking about our strange mascot here. But for indigenous cultures here, it's a being that's so much more. It's in relationship with us and perhaps a higher power, a force untold. And the modern experiencers are left with near-religious moments, fleeting but profound, beautiful, frightening. And before I was ever into UFOs, psychic abilities, and ghostly experiences... I was a Bigfoot kid. When I was a little boy, my grandpa told me stories from his days logging in the Okanagan National Forest, the rugged foothills of the North Cascades, coming into contact with mischievous, often frightening Bigfoot. On one occasion, while his car idled sitting on a slender shoulder of some logging logging road um, hugging the side of a fresh-cut mountain, His car begins to get pelted by rocks from above, and the pops and pings turn to worrisome bangs as the rocks, they they, they got bigger. And my grandpa whips his head out of the car to find an eight-foot hairy creature looking down below at him. It's an experience he certainly never forgot, and one that I never did either. After he told me that story over and over again, in front of a campfire, the back of an RV, sitting on the couch in my parents' living room. On family road trips through lonely, forested highways, I'd wipe the foggy interior of my passenger window with my little hand, hoping for a clearer view, praying to catch a glimpse of a Sasquatch looking back at me through the foggy tree line, its eyes connecting, my eyes speeding by him or her or it, reminding me no one is quite alone out here. But as day turned to night, I let the condensation guard me from its vision. Less brave in the darkness, my hope shifted. Praying that the headlights of our car didn't stop an errant squatch crossing through our lane, even yet that a collision wouldn't occur, leaving us stranded out there in the wild unknown with the unknown wild one. It was just yesterday, actually, I sped over a misty mountain pass, Cutting through a route I've traveled hundreds of times, many of which were very late at night, all alone in the Tillamook National Forest, a place known by Bigfoot researchers as a hotspot, a home to these alleged bipedal relic hominids. This time, I think of the story I could tell if I were to see one, if my journey was interrupted, if I lived through it all to tell it. Tonight, Roby Johnson and Brett Eichenberger join me 
They've met people just like that who have experienced and have been changed by what they believe is contact with Sasquatch. They're co-producers of this new documentary, A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed. We'll talk about those interviews with researchers and eyewitnesses with extraordinary stories and evidence. We'll also discuss historical accounts of Bigfoot and the significance within the indigenous culture. This film makes a strong case for the existence of Bigfoot, and it asks the viewers to examine the evidence and come to their own conclusion. And I want to know, have you seen Sasquatch? You can call us right now and share your story. 888-298-5569 or email us at jim at euphemet.com. Use hashtag nightdrift on Twitter. Tonight, listen, we keep it simple and examine how these experiences feel. It's not a time for scientific debate or a battle between those who believe they know exactly what Sasquatch is, be it flesh and blood, quantum, or something else. This is about that feeling of knowing you are being watched out in the woods and the feeling of finding the thing watching you. I'm Jim Perry, and this is Night Drift. We'll be right back. Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes. So you walk through the forest to get lost until it finds you. You connect eyes and you find something you never knew you lost in the first place. <laughs> I'm Jim Perry. Welcome back to Night Drift. Our guests tonight have a new documentary out, A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed. Toby Johnson is the author the Owl Moon Lab books, and a researcher of all things related to Bigfoot with over a decade of research and his own experiences. He has dedicated his work to investigating the relationship of Sasquatch and the paranormal. Toby is the co-producer of the documentary Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed, a groundbreaking two-part documentary series that focuses on Sasquatch witness testimony. Toby has come to the conclusion that Sasquatch is not only very real, but is far beyond what most would have you to believe. Toby, welcome to Night Drift. Hello, can you hear me all right? Yeah, very much so, very much so. Now, for <laughs> officially, am I saying your name correctly? Oh, yeah, I either go by Tob or Toby. Either one's fine. Okay, great, awesome. And Brett Eichenberger is an award-winning filmmaker with over 25 years of experience working in the film and video production industry. His work includes the feature films Light of Mine and Pretty Broken, commercials, short films, music videos, and documentary shorts. Filmmaking has taken Brett around the world, but he feels most at home in the outdoors of the Pacific Northwest as a native Oregonian. 
Brett's been intrigued by Bigfoot since his childhood years, and this documentary has given him the opportunity to explore the topic in depth. Welcome, Brett. Thanks for having me, Jim. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So, so Brett, you are both in my neck of the woods here in the Pacific Northwest then, yeah? Yeah. You said Tillamook National Forest. I thought maybe we've passed each other <laughs> on my way to the coast or your way to the city. Yeah. It's, that's it's So awesome. we're, we're in the neck of the woods. This Very is prime cool. squatch country. Yeah. As a, you know, as I understand, as I feel in my bones, this is this is for sure. So um, mm-hmm. thank you so much, both of you, for joining us here tonight. And congratulations on the film. I watched thank it you. this morning. Some very compelling history and witness stories. At the start of the film, you pulled a bunch of headlines of historical news articles. And, and it, you know, it really reminded me of how I once felt about Sasquatch. I connected very quickly with the mystery of it relating to mm-hmm. the possibility that, you know, they're flesh and blood and that they are out there, uh, a chance to connect with one at every turn of the trail. But I- I'd like to know, um, Tope, let's start with you, man. What first got you interested in Sasquatch? Well, it would have been, um, you know, connectivity due to my obsession over science fiction at an early age when, you know, I really couldn't tell the two things apart. Both seem. Mm exquisite and impossible at the same time but one seemed more directed towards Oregon and the tall Doug trees and so when I found that out um, you know it sent me back and almost every chance I got especially after high school and I wasn't too far from it uh, out of the little town of Thurston Oregon so mm. at that point um, that's where uh, mythos uh, took a hard shift towards reality and I started following up with people that actually had seen these things hmm. yeah and i'm sure like a quite the mysterious journey that you've been on ever since um listen the the headlines i mentioned earlier uh, you know I was, I was curious as they were flashing along the screen you know these are things mm-hmm. that if you go to the right libraries if you know where to look you can find just a litany of these historical stories especially throughout the northwest but you know uh brett i was wondering what what of those you know, this historical moment uh, excited you the most when you were going through those. There's a there's a historical moment that I've really grown close to. um, That is a letter that was written by a missionary, E. Walker, to Elkanah Walker is his full name. And he wrote it to he wrote this letter to a, um, a friend of his on the East Coast. I believe he was in Boston. He was a reverend. And he was talking about the superstitions of the natives. And I believe he wrote this letter. He was in Eastern Washington, I believe at the time. And Elkanah Walker describes, um, I mean, literally it's almost like it was taken from modern day books on Bigfoot. It's incredible how it lines up. He even talks about how the footprint is about a foot and a half and they live on this mountain with perpetual snow. And, um, I actually recently found out, I was doing some more research on Elkanah Walker, and I recently found out he's, the guy's buried like 10 miles from me. Oh my gosh. So um, I found that out in, in the very last shot that we shot for this entire film is actually his headstone. That was the last oh, shot that, that I added in at like almost the last minute. Um, you know, I drove out there one rainy day and I, I wandered around the graveyard and um, found his headstone and got some images of it. And I kind of just gave the guy, you know, a few moments of silence and yeah. politely thanked him for being kind of the father of modern Bigfoot, yeah. <laughs> kind of, if you will, you know, as far as Western Bigfoot is concerned. Um, and th- that, it still captivates me to this day. And Elkin Walker, um, a lot of people probably don't recognize his name, but he was also one of the founders of Pacific University in Forest Grove. So he, oh, wow. he was a very prominent guy, yeah. Man, that mo- moment must have felt so, you know, not surreal, but p- but pivotal to your process, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you were closing a chapter on like some of your work for the for the film, probably. It, you're like right by home, and and here this person is that 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 yeah. has so much context to this story. Yeah, it was kind of, it was really kind of odd, and it, it, at the same time, it reminded me. I mean, obviously, he he wrote, had written this letter from a different part of the state, but. It just reminded me how close we are to these things and 
they really are close. You know, it's it's not more than maybe 20 to 30 minutes before I'm in, you know, Tillamook State Forest and in the mountains and in the hills and in areas yeah. where Sasquatch have been sighted. You know, there's a there's a piece in our film that Peter Byrne has investigated, the legendary Bigfoot hunter and and Yeti hunter. He talks about the it's called the seven man sighting where seven loggers, seven really credible loggers had a broad daylight sighting just a few years ago up there logging in the, the Tillamook Forest. And, you know, as a child driving to and from Cannon Beach, we had a beach house there, mm. um, you know, multiple times, I mean, dozens of times a year, actually. That was all I would think about was, when am I going to see Bigfoot along the side <laughs> of the road? You know, just kind of like what you did in, in your beautiful and poetic introduction. Same thing here. You know, we just, as kids, I think growing up in, in, in Oregon, there's no way to not be interested in what might lie in the deep, dark forest. Oh my gosh, yeah. And it, as a kid, and, you know, honestly, for me as an adult, and probably, you know, you, you guys shared the same sentiment, it does feel so close to you. Like as if mm -hmm. that legend is not lore at all. It is something tangible and real, and you're always close to it when you're close to that tree line or in, you're yeah. in that forest. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's part of who we are. It's part of our culture. Um, you know, that goes for everybody, probably north of about San Francisco. Right. Um, you know, we've just all grown up with it all the way to Alaska. Yeah. All up yeah. the West Coast. So, uh, Toby, what prompted this film to be made in the first place? Well, it was an approach by uh, Brett and uh, the producer, Jill, and they approached me and a witness by the name of Daryl Adams in regards to a spot on the map we call the El Moon Lab. Mm. And in short, this is a location where Sasquatch comes to town and not only comes to town, but comes to a property. And it was a, a process of writing a book and doing a, a lot of recording, audio recordings to gather evidence that this was actually occurring on my watch for a better part of uh, a year and a half. And during that time, um, Brett and Jill became part of the process here of understanding that, yeah, these things do happen as incredible as it sounds to the listeners. Um, these witnesses more often than not are telling you exactly what's occurring, that uh, Sasquatch gets quite comfortable on people's property, much more so than when you go to their, their home. Yeah. He's a squatter. Something very familiar to most people in the Northwest here. This is a thing. Um, uh, listen, so, so you know, the Al Moon Lab, that that I think, you know, that's probably a, a different episode of Night Drift um, mm. to, to explore sort of your relationship with that and, mm -hmm. and how you came into this work originally. Mm -hmm. um, but, but you know, sort of um, explain a little bit about sure. how, how Bigfoot came to you, how this sure. process came to you. Well, as I was explaining, um, not living too far outside of the tree line, um, we came into a body of evidence outside of the town of Thurston, Oregon, which led me down the road of meeting witnesses, including, uh, I actually haven't met Peter Byrne yet, but the likes of people like Peter Byrne, people that had devoted a right. lifetime to looking at the subject matter. And it was a bifurcated road. One said flesh and blood and one said the other. Mm -hmm. And I wandered, you know, as I said, on the skinny bridge of balancing between those two worlds and um, found out that there was more happening in the stranger side of Bigfoot. And so as I pursued that with what I would call these habituators or extended experiencers of Sasquatch, their interactions were altogether more compelling because now I was having experiences myself. I became an extended experiencer only by trusting in what these people were saying that yes, Sasquatch is real, but they are certainly not rare. And oh, by the way, they come by regularly and uh, have strange friends. So that's mm. in short the story of the Almond Lab. Yeah. Oh man. And and does it ever? Uh, any of the phenomena, I think, has this ability to pull you in, right? And and before you know it, whether you are an investigator or enthusiast, um, experiencer is is not too far away. I think. And 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 that that is different to some people. Sometimes that doesn't mean direct contact with something. But I think um, a, 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 bi, a, bi fact, a bi factor experiencer mm -hmm. in general carries a weight emotionally to it 
that that really takes you to some really interesting places inside. Um, and then when you start looking at other credible people who have had reports, they start corroborating some of the evidence that you're experiencing and also that you could be experiencing yourself. And, you know, you guys talk with uh, some really credible folks, trained observers, professionals, many folks from various backgrounds that are extremely familiar with the outdoors. Can you tell me a little bit um, about some of these folks, Brett? Yeah, and that was really important to us. We we're looking for a couple of components for our witnesses. The, the first component is, you know, credible witnesses that were trusted members of our society. And the other component that we were looking for was an emotional component. And I think in a lot of Bigfoot documentaries, you know, they <clears throat> they kind of just talk about the sighting and when the sighting took place, but they don't get into the re emotional response of the individual. The, the, the feelings that this person has and how it affects them and changes them. Yeah. And we see this a lot with folks that have had, especially extended, extended experiences with um, Bigfoot or extended sightings, if you will. Um, they are never the same person. Um, and a lot of folks become really obsessed with having another sighting, you know? Mm. So, you know, the, an individual that we spoke with that, um, really had an emotional response to it. Just one of the individuals was uh, a, a guy by the name of Rich Jumeau. And Rich was an on-duty police officer. He, he was working the swing shift that day and he headed into, he was heading into work when he literally saw one in broad daylight, not far from a, a populated beach, walk right in front of his patrol car and disappear into the salmon berries. And that really kind of, shocked rich into a whole nother mindset a whole nother way of thinking mm. he started questioning everything in the world you know <laughs> um after the shock wore off he was upset he felt like he had been lied to why wasn't i taught about this he didn't believe in him yeah you know to begin with and so he's you know and that takes him on this journey where he needs to discover more he's questioning he filed a report with the um the local police, you know, an internal report as a trained observer and was laughed at and then eventually found out that pretty much everybody else in that department had had their own sightings. And this carried on and it kind of became his obsession, you know, I mean, setting, he's setting up camera traps and whatnot. And he, he had another sighting, which is not featured in the film. Mm -hmm. And then Rich goes into a part two um, that we're going to feature in our sequel the paranormal Bigfoot about how, you know, he starts getting messages, you know, um, dreams. He's waking up every night at the same time. Mm. Um, and, and he can't put his finger on it. And it's literally driving him insane. And it's really kind of keeping him out of the woods. So, you know, he is, but one example, another example is a guy by the name of Mark. Um, and Mark, Mark Parker was out in, um, he was out hunting and in Eastern Oregon, and he had a sighting, a sighting that completely changed his life. He made direct eye contact. You know that awkward feeling? You're at a restaurant and you're looking around and you lock eyes with somebody and you're like, oh, that was awkward. Sure. Yeah, well, that happened to him in a Sasquatch. Um, and that petrified him to the point where, you know, this is a guy who's been hunting for 30 years. He doesn't ever want to go back in the forest again. And so we asked that hard question okay, if this was a bear, if this was mistaken identity or something else, then why are these people so afraid? Why does it take over their mm. lives? And our conclusion was, is because they saw a Sasquatch. They, they actually saw something that was that profound. And, and, and you nailed it when you said it was kind of a quasi-religious experience. I think mm. that's, that's a, a great way to describe it. Mm. Well, emotionally resonant sightings that are mm -hmm. relatable to anyone based off their quality of, of, of experience, but, but so, so strange. But um, we have to take a short break here on Night Drift. Um, I'm Jim Perry. We'll be right back and we'll explore much more of the emotionality behind Sasquatch, but I think this film captures really well. And we'll talk a little bit more about the witnesses therein. And that's right after this break here on Night Drift.
drifting deeper into the night. Jim Perry is taking your calls at 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW-5569. looking at this giant figure, huge, eight feet tall, non-human gait. I'm trying to classify what this thing is, but it, it's not real. And I know what it is, but what it is is not real. The arms of these things went well below their knees, unbelievably long arms. When I looked up, there was a young male looking at me. Something's going around my tent. It stops behind me, and then contact. We tried. We really tried to get pictures, but these things seemed out foxes. Something, something is leaving footprints. As you start utilizing the data and you start seeing the data tell the story, the whole story unfolds right before your eyes. The way it pulled its little one, its young behind it with its arm. I mean, I can't even put it in words. It was so unreal. Knowing about them, they seemed too intelligent for me to like consider them as like something you could go out and hunt like an animal. That is, whoa. So these were brought here. I had one client talk about how muscular it was and how broad its shoulders were and how it's like just was in awe of this incredibly majestic creature. You will always have that with you. You will always remember that moment. When he was walking away, I called out to him, you're the most beautiful creature in the world. Please don't go. I was that person. I did not believe. I just thought it was a myth. Open up your minds because they're out there. That's the trailer for the new film, A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed. We're talking with the film and Brett Eichenberger tonight, drifting deeper into the night, searching for symbols in the tree lines. We're back here on Night Drift. Find us across social media at Euphemet and me at It's Jim Perry. And if you're listening to this live, the radio broadcast of the show, and want more, you can find all of this on the Euphemet podcast feed wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, just go visit our website, euphemet.com. Listen, we took last week off as season five of Euphemet 
has officially come to an end. We have some really exciting tapings that are coming up. We're trying some new things. And in the coming weeks, we're, we're, we're already working on season six. One thing to mention is I don't know if you have found this, but the podcast industry is going through a real weird shaky time right now as a lot of the big advertisers are seemingly taking a season off. Industry-wide, this is happening. Longtime sponsors for shows that you love are pausing or diverting marketing funds. So there has never been a better time to directly support the podcast you love and listen to. You can do this through joining their Patreon or picking up a shirt. Everything helps out here. So thank you so much for listening right now. Yeah, I'm talking to you and spreading the word. You're, you're just so appreciated. Okay, back to the show. We're, we're back here with Toby and Brett. Their film, A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed. And I have to ask, guys, have, have either of you had a, a Sasquatch experience yourself or something that you could qualify, uh, you, you know, a paranormal in that, in that similar way? Job, you go first. <laughs> All right, I'll go. Um, well, it's been since the mid 2000s since I've been running up and down um, the Cascades looking for my own sighting here, following mm. up on these extended experiencers <clears throat> and what they've told me. And so, yeah, in short, absolutely. Um, I could go through a lot of examples of unexplainable phenomena, but as far as having a sighting of what I could only you know, be explained as a Sasquatch myself would have been uh, at this property, the Al Moon Lab in Cottage Grove, Oregon, where at, at some point around four in the morning, uh, awaiting the appearance of the intruder, the night intruders, mm. um, I saw something behind my Jeep commander on the driver's side, uh, shifting its weight in the gravel. Mm. And it moved with such agility and silence through the gravel uh, that it could only be one thing because by that time, I learned the fact that these things can move differently than maybe science is comfortable admitting. And um, so I believe that was what I saw, especially after the vocalization and the, the one that answered back uh, oh, fairly close, um, moonless night about 40 feet away from me. So uh, that's the one I take away. Oh my gosh. And probably just completely carrying it on your back. Um, it, Brett, how, how about yourself? Yeah, I've, I've had a few, um, we've had a few kind of interesting things happen. Um, years ago, about six, seven years ago, I had a, both Jill and I had a ghost uh, situation, which really kind of helped get us into this paranormal frame of mind, although mm -hmm. we were interested and fascinated with it, you know, with it, both of us, since we were children. But um, as far as Bigfoot's concerned, yes, um, you know, we had a, we had a, an invite out to uh, the Midwest where we had, you know, a bit of a bluff charge at about one o'clock in the morning. We heard a, a bipedal stomping through the woods in the oh pitch gosh. black, which was interesting. And that was not more than maybe 30 to 50 feet away from us at the time. It was loud. It was heavy. And you could tell it was running on two feet wow. um, at the owl moon in the owl moon wilderness. Uh, we were up there. I wasn't up there with Tobe at the time, but um, I was doing some tree knocking, see if I'd get any responses. And I think I was just kind of pestering the guys and, and um, I, I wasn't getting anything back. And then finally, you know, just about the time I was getting ready to give up, I get one kind of loud whack. And not more than 10 seconds later, I got like a really loud, leave us alone kind of whack. <laughs> back you know <laughs> and i mean literally the hair stood on the ends of my head and neck and all everywhere all of my body as that happened i mean that, i was like okay i hear you loud and clear so that was weird um and, oh, and we were shooting an interview up there that's gonna be featured in the sequel that um we got a very interesting sound on so at, at the same time we, we were discussing their uh means of communication so so that was interesting. So yeah, we have had some very interesting things, both um, both myself and Jill, and also Mike Ferry, who um, is the cinematographer on the project, who did a, an absolutely astounding job. So props to Mike. Well, it must have been. I mean, listen, it, you know, it, it's always an experience when you go out and have boots in the field, 
and you're in these same destinations that these people have had their experiences. It, it really changes the quality of the experience, even as a filmmaker and a content creator, mm -hmm. doesn't it? It really does. It absolutely does. And it's important. It's important to go out. You know, we, we did that with Chad and Austin, who had a, a sighting back in October of 2019. We didn't want to just talk to them. We wanted to get out because they were so profoundly changed by their sighting. We wanted to go down to the little lake in the um, Siskiyou Mountains near the California border and get them to relive that moment. Mm. You know, and that was that wasn't easy for them. Yeah. That was that was difficult. There were some tense moments. Well, you know, you had mentioned in the last segment the law enforcement officer who made contact mm -hmm. in Port Townsend, and you know, man, that that guy carried such weight with me uh, emotionally because it's as if he he really took that, um, and it's almost seemingly it read on screen as a burden with him that that like every mm -hmm. day he's still working on it, and you know, figuring out how it does or doesn't define him as not just a trained observer, but as a human. Was was it surprising to you, Brett, how emotionally charged some of these stories were once you were out in the field and doing these interviews? And can you share a bit about the ways some of these folks are working through that trauma through professional help? Yes. So, um, no, it didn't surprise me. And part of the reason I think it didn't surprise me is because I've been really interested in human psychology. And, and I think as a director, I come from, you know, narrative films and I've studied acting and, and these are the kind of emotional responses one would expect if they've been subjected to trauma or if they've yeah. been subjected to something that shouldn't exist. And, you know, to see something like this, that's, People, people think, oh yeah, Bigfoot. Yeah, no, they're big. But to see that in real life is different. It's yeah. different, you know? Yeah. Um, and I hate to say that, you know, something dumb like, well, the pictures don't do it justice. You know, with the exception of Patty, we don't obviously have a lot of photo evidence, but it is a massive, massive creature. And I think that the brain goes into flight or fight mode. And, you know, you've got that kind of, reptilian brain that kicks in and says, okay, this thing could rip me into pieces. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's, it's unlike seeing a grizzly bear or anything else that is uncomfortably close. So the emotions were dead on, you know, um, this, these are people that if they're faking or if they're lying, I certainly want to cast in my next film because they yeah. nailed it. You know, yeah. they said all the right things. The body language showed it. Their eyes showed it. Um, you know, this is the truth. So part of the way that these people are, are dealing with these experiences and dealing with this trauma, and for some of them, it's, they just need to get back out there. They need to get back out in the woods. They need to um, kind of reaffirm that what they experienced was real. Mm. You know, even though they have uh, somewhat of a support group, I, I shouldn't say somewhat of a support group, they have support group. Um, you know, a lot of these people will seek out others who've had the same experience um, because it brings comfort to know that, that you're not the crazy one, that, that people have seen yeah. the same thing and you can compare notes. Mm -hmm. And some of them go to, you know, go see a, a gentleman by the name of Doug Meacham, who's a hypnotherapist, and they do a regression. And Doug's able to kind of go back through their mind and, and help them relive that experience. So there's a variety of ways that people do it, and they're and in the majority of them are good, and not all of them are are great. You know, some people um, resort to other things to try yeah. and help them deal with this. Yeah, well, it, it you know it's like any other trauma that experience, right? I mean, people have all sorts of different ways to to deal with trauma to address that. Uh, rationalizations mm -hmm. as well, you know, um, there, and, you know, listen, one of the things I really liked about how you made the film is you covered a lot of ground. Uh, you, you covered technology, you covered, uh, you, you know, ways that people are dealing with it. In addition to the great witness accounts and, and history, um, you mm -hmm. dive into, you know, um, respectfully within your bounds, um, you know, indigenous culture and what those stories are in a very respectful way, I thought. You know, so I, I'd love to learn a little bit more. You know, you brought it up like, you know, Patty, the definitive footage, right? 
the Patterson-Gimlin tape, right, or film. Um, there's, there's other photos that are more in question, and one of them happens to, to be featured in the film in the last segment. Love to l- learn a little bit more of your views on, on what really actually came out to be pretty controversial in, in the mm-hmm. film. Um, now, I have my personal take on this in which you know, I can share or not, but you know, after, a, to your credit, a truly remarkable witness account from a cancer-stricken man, one that is uh, just emotional, compelling, beautiful, um, there is a photo that his daughter takes of an alleged Sasquatch. It's included in the film in which has some folks sort of riled up and has caused some a reaction, I'll say. And but but you know, when viewing, I immediately wondered if that was the point. <laughs> Can you share with me a little bit about your intent, including those images from uh, Rachel Wilson in your film and what you yeah. took away from that segment? Yeah, so this this has definitely become a bit of a controversial subject. You know, it's just like what I was just saying about how the witnesses really nailed the quote unquote performance. I mean, I believe them. I think they were telling the truth. And Rachel mm-hmm. is one of those witnesses that, you know, I, I still stand behind to this day. Now, we don't know what those photos really are, but they're probably a man in a suit. But we don't prove that they're I mean, we don't prove that they're not because we weren't there. Only Rachel was there. Um, Her ex-husband was there and we're not able to get in contact with him. And and frankly, um, that's a touchy subject because of the fact that they are divorced. Mm -hmm. So so he wasn't an option in order to interview him, to talk to. And, you know, I think the theory that a lot of people have proposed is that you know, this may very well have been a staged event by her ex-husband without Rachel knowing in order to, for her to capture a couple of pictures to show to her dad to really affirm his sighting. Um, yeah. I believe with every ounce of my being that her father saw, you know, a hairy man, a Bigfoot. You know, he mm-hmm. said it was close to nine feet tall, judging by the tree that it passed. He describes how muscular it was. Um, and he, he gets... He gets very detailed with that sighting, and it's it's really incredible. Oh, it's profound. But you know, there is there's a lot of family politics involved there. Um, you know, Daryl is a wonderful, wonderful man, and 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 you know, being around him, really getting to know him, I've really, you know, become endeared to the guy and and um, and his story, and and I think that you know he being at the cusp of kind of looking death really in the face you know Mm -hmm. he had four to six weeks to live i think that having that sighting gave him an entirely new purpose in his life we show that and i think we show that really well and i think that we see the emotion from rachel about going through the the cancer diagnosis with her father and the surgery and and the son-in-law what i can tell you is that he was very close with daryl as well Mm -hmm. they were both close and so i think overall at the end of the day um that's that's probably what happened. There are some things that are that are really interesting about the photos that we still can't really explain. Um, we've had some photo analysts look at it and they can't come up with um, exact answers either. I mean, there's no really no detail in the face where there should be some detail in the face. There is some motion blur. We have determined pretty close to beyond a, a doubt that those photos are. Um, 100% authentic. They haven't been tampered with. I personally transferred them from the SD card that was in her camera. Um, so I have the, the metadata. I know, um, you know, what shutter speed she took it with, the ISO, all of the technical details that go into the photography. You know, both of those photos were taken one second apart. Um, and, you know, a lot of people would have said, well, you know, if you didn't include the photos, then you would have a really good, credible witness sighting because, Again, she says all the right things. It matches up. But for us, the reason why we chose to keep them in there is because I wanted the audience to ultimately decide. Um, yeah. And, you know, based on, I wanted the audience based on her story and the photos. And I also think it's important to have a discussion about truth, about, um, you know, why somebody might do something like this. I mean, this wasn't, 
in my opinion, a hoax. This was staged. This was for intended for um, the family's personal use, you know. Right. And um, and there's something to be said that, said about that as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's very controversial. The most important thing that I want to stress here, Jim, is I don't want it to take away from those who've who've been brave enough to share their stories from this film. Right. And unfortunately, it's become a little bit of a distraction. But I believe that, you know, what we have to offer as far as information is concerned in this film is very, very significant. And I would really encourage folks to to watch the movie and maybe have a discussion about it. And we've been trying to be um, as transparent as, as possible. And, and we're happy to answer any questions that, that folks might have. But we understand where people are coming from. We absolutely do. Well, and you also posted the full unedited, unedited conversation with Rachel on your YouTube as mm -hmm. well to to engage in conversation and listen. I mean, yeah, yeah, I do have to like, uh, yeah, I think it's a dude in a suit, right? But that mm -hmm. that is almost like not even it almost doesn't even matter because at the end of the day, mm -hmm. what a what a wild human story that is, uh, yeah, you know, which which is attractive to me. But secondly, with with an introduction of your part two which is based more on paranormal Bigfoot, you have created the perfect segue or introduced or presented the perfect segue in terms of the trickster phenomenon. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's certainly present within that space. Um, mm -hmm. Listen, as, as we start to wrap down here or wrap up here uh, tonight, which is, it's just been brilliant speaking with you guys and i have so many more questions so we'll have to we'll have to do this again sometime maybe in person let's yeah. do it in person sometime but yeah. um tobe listen uh you know looking back at the making of this film uh having it released being on the other side of it now working on and have been working on this part two do you believe the making of this project which is still in the process of of you know happening how has this changed you, man? Do you believe it's changed you? And in what ways, if it has? Well, I think so. I don't think we're fully responsible for what's unfolded here, just the way it's been shot. You know, large in part, mm -hmm. this was done as a passion project over a pandemic. But um, the things that have happened along the way is just uh, one synchronicity after the other. So you kind of just have to let a little bit of this go and um, watch what <laughs> right. happens in the future. Even with a controversy, I uh -huh. still feel as though that the, um, you know, Sasquatch or these beings or the synchronicity is still playing a huge part of a story we, we haven't unfolded yet. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, Jesus, take the wheel. Here we go. <laughs> and, and and brett what what about you how do you feel like maybe you and you know I, I don't want you to directly speak for jill but how do you think you guys have changed during this process that you're that you're you know in process of right now boy um you know this this film was really made by three of us jill myself and and mike ferry the cinematographer and the three of us have been significantly changed yeah. And we expect to be significantly changed as, as we get into the second chapter and finish that because we've got some wild adventures planned for that. Um, you know, I can't put my finger on one specific thing, but I can say that we certainly feel much more connected to the universe and to the world. And, you know, kind of like Rich, how he, after his sighting, he's kind of questioned everything. I feel that we're doing the same thing, but in a positive way. Um, yeah. I, you know, one of the things I do know is we started this documentary to go out there and say, hey, you guys, Bigfoot's not a monster. You know, this thing isn't out to kill you. Now, with that being said, I want to be very clear that there are good Bigfoot and bad Bigfoot, just like there's good people and bad people. Mm. Um, that's, but they're not all monsters. This is not a being that we can generalize or just kind of throw into a box. They're just as complex as people are. And, and that varies from region to region around the United States and even the world, as far as that goes. So that's one of the things that we've learned is I, I feel like we've really learned to get to know the character of Bigfoot. Yeah. And I've really kind of grown to like them. Hmm. Um, and I want to make sure that people respect them. You know, we're, we're 
absolutely adamantly against killing one just for the sole purpose of studying it. And, you know, I hope that that message comes through with, with these pieces that are, that, with these films that we're making. And I, I hope people go out and, and see the world differently after they watch these movies. I love that. I love that. And I think they will. And good luck on part two. As we wrap up here, where can everyone find this film? Where can they find you? And then we're calling it a night. Okay. So they can find us on Facebook, A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed. We've got a Facebook page. Come like the page. That'll keep us or keep you posted with, you know, news and events. Um, the film is for sale on Amazon. It's for sale on YouTube, rentals, Vudu, Google Play, uh, the Microsoft store which i think is through xbox um itunes also has it and this is a film that is in various countries around the world too so if you're an international listener maybe in canada or the uk um you can look it up and you can probably find it to watch it there too all right well fantastic we'll I'll have all of that in the show notes plus uh your guys's personal websites as well and uh thank you so much for for joining us and and you know getting deep into the woods with me gentlemen you're welcome, Jim. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you for listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, KKNW, 1150 AM Seattle. Hear the show anytime on its podcast feed, wherever you listen to them. Go to euphemet.com for more and join us next Sunday. And until then, keep looking up. Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.